0: feeling overwhelmed by fintech. My name is Matt and I'm the general counsel and compliance officer at Lithic.
1: And I'm Reggie Young, product counsel at Lithic and author of the newsletter fintech law TLDR.
0: Welcome to the fintech layer cake podcast,
1: a podcast where we slice big fintech topics into bite-sized pieces for everyone to easily digest.
0: Simply put, we're here to make fintech a piece of cake.
1: Fintech layer cake is powered by Lithic.
0: The fastest and most flexible way to launch a card program.
1: Matt, you know what would be the icing on the top of this intro? No, Reggie. What's that? A sweet disclaimer. I love sweet disclaimers. All right, let's get to it. Nothing
0: in this podcast should be construed as legal, or financial, or medical
1: advice. Lithic is also the company behind Privacy.com, which offers convenient virtual cards that help you protect yourself against fraud or abuse.
0: Have you ever had your card info stolen? I have, and it sucks. Well, now you can protect your payments with Privacy.com. With Privacy, you can create a privacy card that masks your actual card and banking information when you check out. And you can also set custom spending limits for each privacy card to prevent overcharging, hidden fees, or use at the wrong merchant.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Fintech Layer Cake. We've got a great guest with us today.
0: That's right. We're excited to have someone on the show today that holds the title, everyone's favorite fintech hater, Ron Shevlin. Ron, welcome to the show. Our listeners probably already know about you from your Forbes pieces and your fantastic cornerstone work, but why don't you give them a quick refresher about who you are and how you ended up in fintech.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot for having me on. I am the chief research officer at Cornerstone Advisors, where I've been for seven years. Uh, I come out of the analyst world and worked at Forrester for a long time. When I was at Forrester, they asked me if I would be the research director of the financial services team. I didn't realize it at the time, but the only reason they were asking me is because nobody else was stupid enough to take the job. But I did. And then when the term fintech started coming around, I was like, hey, that's what we do. So I said, hey, I'm a fintech guy. Thanks for being in the financial services world. Left Forrester, joined ITA Group for a while and left that and I've been at Cornerstone for seven years. I've also been blogging coming up on 16 years now. I originally called my blog Snarketing because I had a boss that came to me one day and said, hey, you know what your problem is? And I said, I only have one. And he goes, well, that's kind of part of it. And you're kind of snarky guy. So I called my blog Snarketing. And then when I got asked almost four years ago at this point, if I wanted to be a contributor on Forbes, I said, hell yes. And I, although you really don't name your blog on Forbes, yeah. I start every one of my blogs with the title Observations from the Fintech Snark Tank. So that's has kind of stuck as the title of the blog.
1: Awesome. Awesome. It's an honor to have you on the podcast.
0: Great to be here. I'm long-time listener, first-time uh, <laughs> caller. Lithic has launched a great new set of tools to help make launching prepaid cards easier. Typically, we've been pretty modular, and we've always been able to help really sophisticated companies, but we're glad to bring these tools down to companies that need them and are having a hard time getting started. If you need help in this space or you're just curious, hope you check out our website or one of our webinars to learn more. And with that, we are done with the marketing shtick. So uh, Reggie, you want to take us away for what's next?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Matt and I have a list of topics that we want to get Ron's Snark Tank take on. So, first up, we want to talk about one of your recent Forbes pieces, the FinTech's Funk Smells Like Teen Spirit piece. Ron, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about that piece and why you wanted to write it?
2: Yeah, so I think for a while now, but at least, you know, while being the past couple of months, maybe even since the beginning of the year, I've really felt that the mood in the FinTech Environment, And I am hesitating calling it fintech industry, and you guys will know why in a minute or two. But it's felt like the fintech environment, the, the mood has shifted in 2022. Prior years, it was gung-ho growth, everything looks great, man, we are going to take over the world and, and everything. Then sort of hit a brick wall, layoffs, the mood changed. The writings of the VC guys were, oh, you guys are going to have to really buckle down now and it's going to be tighter and everything. It just felt like the mood had changed. And I was contemplating how to write this up a couple weeks ago. I was listening to Sirius XM. You guys get paid for them, right? So I can make that marketing. Of course, niche. absolutely. And I was taking a break from the Grateful Dead channel that I typically listen to twenty four hours a day. I was on Lithium, and they had mentioned that it was the. Uh, I'm they- also on
0: Lithium, by the way.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're talking about two different things oh, here. Sorry, Ron. Sorry, I'm talking radio, my friend. And the guy on lithium mentioned that the day that we were I was listening in on was the 31st anniversary of the launch of Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit, which of course was an anthem of teen angst for Gen Xers back in the early 90s. And it just sort of hit me that that was kind of the mood of what was happening with fintech, that it was going through its teen angst period. And just as Gen Xers have grown up and have become part of society with jobs and all that kind of stuff and, you know, very likely to have kids of their own now going through teen angst, that this was sort of the path that fintech had to take. It it wasn't separate and apart and gung-ho and taking over the world. No, it's going to be part of the world and it's going to be part of the financial services industry and, you know, may very well dominate the financial services industry but it's not a separate industry. It is the financial services industry. So I tried to create an analogy for why this was like what teens go through with teen angst. And when I ran it through Alex Johnson, he was like, oh yeah, yeah, look. And he gave me like all these like great analogies for what yeah. was going on. And if your idea gets blessed by Alex, then you know you're in good shape.
1: Yeah. Yeah. love the idea that FinTechs need to be more open to assimilate into uh, the traditional existing financial services industry and framework. Curious to go a level deeper on that. Do you think all fintechs need to assimilate, or is there space for some to remain kind of in a, like a parallel non bank space?
2: I don't think they're going to have a choice. You guys are actually the ones who know this better than I would, but I don't think from a regulatory and compliance perspective. They're really going to be able to. I think, you know, the regulatory environment will look at this and say, it's the activities and behaviors that need to be regulated, not the types of companies. And that's, really, I mean, even the whole banking as a service embedded finance thing really pushes on the question of who's providing regulated financial services. So, you know what? I don't think they really have a choice. We'll see a lot of new things, you know, from a Web3 and DeFi perspective over the next couple of years. I am very much convinced that that DeFi is just a horrible, horrible label for what's going on under that banner. It's not decentralized. It's driven by blockchain and cryptocurrency. And as you guys, the lawyers know better than I do too, that's increasingly being regulated. So... Even crypto isn't DeFi or on the verge of not being DeFi anymore from a strict sense of the word. So Reggie, I don't think that they'll have a choice and I don't even get why. I mean, yes, you know, you want to be rebellious, you want to change all the problems, but I think every generation learns that the best way to change things are from within than from without. And I think the fintechs will come to that realization too and kind of lose its revolutionary stance. Okay, have you know, we pissed Ron, off I, enough people yeah. yet? Uh, and did enough people no, drop no, we, off in the past, in the first five minutes of this to say, screw this, I'm not listening to this guy anymore?
0: We should absolutely piss off some more people. And I know we've got some coming up with our last questions. So we hope listeners stick around for that because that, that's going to be pretty fun. We're going to put Ron through the ringer. Ron, what you mentioned around fintechs always being regulated is really interesting. And I think a good call out. One of the things that struck me is I was having a conversation with Charlie Kroll, our chief revenue officer here at Lithic, uh, probably in the last week or so. And we were talking about how at Charlie's first company they hit a level of scale. I think they were serving about six hundred banks or so with their products, helping banks do digital onboarding back in the early two thousands. And they hit a point where the FDIC came calling and said, Hey, we're the FDIC and we're gonna be, you know, checking up on you guys. And it wasn't anything too crazy or onerous from talking to Charlie about it, but you know, they had that direct line. The FDIC realized they they were a critical vendor to all these banks. And they wanted to make sure that they were operating in a safe manner and weren't introducing risks to bank banks. It's interesting because one thing that our listeners probably aren't aware of or it's easy to forget about, because I know I, I knew that and I forgot about that type of thing until Charlie mentioned it to me, is that when you're smaller and you only maybe have a couple of handful of bank customers or a couple of handful of bank partners... You're not necessarily going to be directly on the regulator's radar. But if you get big like Visa, right, or my guess is at some point, you know, if Stripe wants to go line up deals with FIs or really anybody else, right, something like Plaid, et cetera, Alloy is probably another good example. You're going to cross a threshold where eventually the regulators will take notice of you and they'll start to take more of an interest in your business. It's a really good call out that FinTech always has been regulated. I'd say the nuance or spin on that is it's at scale. If anybody wants to say, well, Matt, that sounds crazy, you can go check the FinCEN regs. They have a whole section right up there with MSBs around credit card network operators, right? That applies to the likes of Visa, MasterCard, and Amex, um, in addition to the other things Amex gets because of their bank. But that's an interesting call out. The other interesting thing, Ron, I think I'd poke at is there will be a set of companies that kind of live outside of regulation from time to time, probably likely the smaller scale players. You have folks that are just selling enablement to fintech. I think there's a lot of fraud and risk players that are out there selling to crypto and DeFi, right? If you're not selling to banks like Charlie was with his first company, or, you know, you've got Visa, MasterCard, et cetera, FISERV. You might might be able to live outside of the kind of the direct regulatory layer for a while. But obviously, as you point out, you still have to work with customers. You have to think about that. I mean, yeah, the crypto companies or MSBs are MSBs or the licensed to their markets or things like that.
2: Matt, I don't, I don't even, I would not to disagree with that, but I don't think yeah. that they can even live outside the regulatory environment from a couple of different angles here. First yeah. of all, strictly within financial services, you know, you got FDIC, OCC, and now, of course, in the past ten years, CFPB. So the yeah. problem is, is that anything that touches the consumer is now under the aegis or the watchdog of who knows how many different. So with financial, leverage. now with the growing integration of embedded finance, then you start getting regulated by whoever the regulator is of the distributor. So, you know, you Mm -hmm. can envision like Walgreens, are they being regulated by the pharmaceutical or is it FTC? So even just broadly like, you know, Federal Trade Commission. So, and the CFPB thinks that anything that has the word money and consumer in it is under their jurisdiction. Like your story with Charlie, where it was vendor to bank. Even yeah. that became underneath you know, the thing. And I think your points around, you know, Stripe and other large firms is that once it hits a certain scale, then there's just raises a whole bunch of issues, especially around like data privacy. And they start to look at who's a systemic threat. I don't see anybody flying under the radar anymore.
0: You no, know, that, that's really fascinating. I think one space that Reggie and I obviously think about quite often because it it potentially impacts Lithic and our customers is... How is the evolving regulatory landscape for that banking as a service layer? We're not purely banking as a service. We have customers that come to us and say, can you handle some of those needs? And and we can in certain circumstances. And so it'll be interesting to see, especially because there's a lot of emphasis on Michael Shue's OCC comments right now, but he's not the only regulator. You mentioned the CFPB, which is a good call out. And I don't think they're focused on this space, but I'd love to be on their consumer advisory board if they'll have me so we could talk about it. Quick plug for any of you listening from the Bureau. And well, hey, listen, the, we missed the the boat on that. Let me tell you, because I was looking
2: into yeah. that, and uh, the the applications, I think could well, I, I sent mine in August. I sent oh, mine in. Yeah, oh, I did. In fact, a, a pre-
0: I, th- I think a month ago they sent me a very polite form email that said I'm still under consideration. So i um, got ah, my fingers nice. crossed. Um, on But anyway, I, th- I think I think it'll be fascinating because, as you know, and as many of our listeners will know, so much of the banking regulation is regional. And things happen in Washington, D.C., but then they may or may not filter down to the regional layers. A lot of times you see an over-tightening at the regional layers that goes beyond what's happening in Washington, D.C. with the policymakers. And so it'll be interesting because you now have someone from Washington, D.C., Michael Shue, planting this flag saying, we're going to look deeper at fintech. It kind of feels aimed at crypto and bass offerings and what's happening with some of those banks, especially when you pair it with what happened with Blue Ridge, with their consent order becoming public right around the time of that speech. But you still have the FDIC. Right. And in some cases, you even have the Fed, like you look at Evolve, I believe they're Fed regulated out of St. Louis. So it'll be really interesting to see if all the other regulators adopt that as well. And if not, there'll be some interesting strategic advantages emerging for some of the bass players as it comes up.
1: Ron, I think at this point, we'd love to switch gears into a new topic. I've heard you rant offline about how some people think Apple is going to revolutionize the uh, checking account space, but surprise, you're not convinced of that. So what's the uh, snark tank take on Apple running checking accounts?
2: First, let me just challenge your statement there. I do think Apple can and will revolutionize the checking account space. What I was kind of ranting about, and this all came about a couple of weeks ago, when Benedict Evans, who's a popular newsletter writer, I think he was an early investor in Amazon. He's got a great following and does a lot of great stuff. He tweeted... Hey, fintech people, what would a Apple checking account look like? And a couple of people picked up the challenge. Alex Johnson of um, Fintech Takes Newsletter and Itai Dante of Unit. And with no disrespect to either of those guys, because they're both uh, brilliant, My sense from reading what they wrote was that they thought the Apple checking account would have basically every imaginable feature you could come up with. Like it was this just laundry list or, you know, kitchen sink of everything. And I thought, that's just so not Apple. That's not Apple's sort of DNA. Their DNA is to abstract away the complexities of something. It's one button. Push this button. That's all you got to do. And so it got me thinking what's the complexity in checking accounts and really in financial services that an Apple could abstract away? And for me, it's the idea of an account. Mm. We have an account for everything, we have to open a checking account. Now, it's not enough just to kind of take a portion of that money and say that we want to get interest on it. No, 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 We have to move it to this thing called a savings account. Yeah. And then, by the way, if we want to have anything on credit, we got to open up a credit card account. And if we want to put any of it into stocks or bonds, we have to have a brokerage account. And then if we want to do anything with everybody else, we have to have an account. So whether it's a financial product or whether it's a tool that accesses that, everything has an account that has its own access to it from an ID and a password perspective. And if you were to redesign everything from scratch, which I think is what an Apple would sort of come to the table with, you would abstract away all of that account complexity. So it's Mm. just a matter of I have money. I want to do certain things with that money and just go do it. And I think they would hide all the complexity of these accounts so that money just flowed more simply, was protected better because there would not be these multiple accounts where things could be transferred in and out of that kind of thing. And so that was kind of my take of how Apple would approach a checking account by not even calling it a checking account and just saying, Hey, yeah. we, we, there's somebody there is going to be a hell of a lot smarter than I am that to do all this and figure this out. Cause that's what they do. So that was kind of my take is they could very well really revolutionize financial services, not just because they would create a better front end and user interface, but because they would actually rethink the whole back end process around the notion of an account. Now, you guys could probably tear that apart from a legal perspective because you guys know all the legal aspects of that. So I'm not thinking about the practicality of this just yet. I'm just thinking about what would and could Apple do?
0: No, Now I love that as a consumer, I'm going to take my lawyer hat off for a minute. If you told me I could have something like that where with low friction, I could sign up for something and then I could kind of easily move things around. I'd love that. Because like right now I bank with a bank. And then they have their kind of in-house brokerage arm, right? I bank with one of the major top banks. I'm not going to say who, I prefer not to be hacked. And they all have major brokerage arms, right? But different websites. And even I'm in the app and it's going to bounce me or ask me to download a separate app, right? Because they're on different technology stacks and things like that. So something like Apple could certainly unify that from the consumer perspective. I think, Ron, you're right. There's some interesting quirks around disclosures and things. Like immediately, I think if you're thinking about credit, Reggie and I know this because we built the privacy.com charge card. There's a lot of disclosures for consumer credit. They have to do a lot of consents. People have to affirmatively request or click things or stuff like that. We're probably conflicts with a little bit of that vision. And unfortunately, with the CPV dismantling their innovation lane, it's not something Apple could go in and ask for a waiver on. I mean, they still could, they're Apple, but there's no front door necessarily to go walk through anymore. The more interesting thing, I think more than the legal is, Ron, I'd be curious to your thoughts about how do you structure that on the partnership side? Like if you're Apple, do you just double down everything with Goldman? They are full service bank. They seem to be able to do all the things you're talking about with the types of accounts that are there, or you go cobbled together the way PayPal or Square might have, right? With their regional bank here, big bank here, you know, kind of a la carte model. I'm curious for your thoughts on that.
2: Oh, I think it would be more towards the proliferation of partnerships than it would mm. be double down with a single. But it gets to the point where like, maybe they would just redesign the products and services yes. altogether. When, yeah. I mean, why do we need, all, you know, why do you need all this? Do you really need to go acquire somebody? Maybe they you know they've already acquired credit who was it? Um The UK firm, I'm blanking out Mm -hmm. what the second name is because I keep taking karma, but it's not. So they would make a series of acquisitions in this space because they have what, like $100 trillion in cash or something close to that, I think. I might be a decimal point off on that one. Right. So, I mean, they could acquire a whole bunch of stuff or they would just sort of recreate the service offering altogether where, you know, we don't care who's behind it. There's differentiation in the financial market because the various financial institutions serve different providers. But the tools that yeah. sit on top of those, there might be some differentiations as somebody tries to carve out something else. But they all struggle for awareness and, and market penetration where yeah. Apple just, you know, here, flip this button, you're in, you know.
0: Yeah. So you're envisioning something more, almost like Apple Pay, where yeah, it's it's Apple, it's on my phone. I put I'm old, so I have or my phone's old, rather. So I have my thumb like button, right? I don't have one of the phones without that yet, and my cards pop up, and I do get to pick, right? And foolishly, I have like a fintech prepaid card loaded at the top with no money in it, so I have to toggle to my Chase card, right? Before I go do something like this. But like if you're picturing, I might go to Apple and say something like, "I'd like to open my, I don't know, my Apple check." Book or something like that, they, they would have a better name. But it would be like Apple Banking maybe or something like that if the regulators would let them do that. And basically it would ask me, okay, who's your bank? And almost I would pull them in or I would pick, right? Like it might let me say I don't have a bank or I don't like my bank. Might go, well, have you considered your local bank? Um, try County's Bank in the Bay Area, right? Or something else like that. Is that kind of the model? And then you think Apple would just like now, like every bank that wants Apple Pay can just get Apple Pay, right? So there's an Apple evolution
2: to some end yeah. And I think on day one, it's Apple going to the customer saying, tell me where your money is now. Yeah. Okay. So there's an aggregation aspect to this, but it's not really aggregation. It's just simply identification of where the money is. And then over time, I think there becomes sort of a, a choice. And the choice to the consumer is to what extent do you want self-driving Versus what Alex Johnson would call hands on the wheel. He owes yeah. me big time. Isn't this like the third time I've mentioned him? <laughs> He's better pay me for all of this. Uh, you, you're uh, shilling
0: more for Alex Johnson than we are for the new Lithic Spend product. <laughs> That's great, by the way. People should check that out since our marketing team yeah. t- told us they wanted a podcast about it.
2: Yeah. So Alex calls it, you know, hands on the wheel. So I think the user has to say... Do this for me. Just, I don't care. Just optimize this stuff for me. There are things I have to yeah. pay for. There are things I want to buy. There are things I have to, yeah, I got bills to pay. I got stuff to do. I got to put money in these places. Yeah. Go figure it out for me. Or it's, well, no, you know, hold on a second here. I want to see what you're doing before you do it for me. And others might say, well, no, look, I'm going to take care of it. You just do it, but you do what I tell you to do. So there, there's some options here. And I think the abstraction of the complexity is not saying, okay, here are all your accounts. Where do you want to move money from? And to? it's say, what are you trying to do? You know, you're trying to optimize your returns, ensure you've got cash flow. You want to make sure your bills get paid. Some people need advice on the 401k. Maybe they need advice on other things. It's a different paradigm to managing everything. And then over time, it does become more like Apple Pay, where, all right, shit, you just keep the money here. Keep the money wherever you want. Yeah, yeah. You know, as long as you're giving me all this other stuff and optimizing returns and minimizing the cost, I don't care what you're doing and where you put it, because I don't have to figure that out anymore. You just yeah. figure that out for me. So, you know, I think it has to evolve, and that evolution's got to take at least five to ten years from the starting point. But as a starting point, I think it has to start with sort of aggregation or what we think of as account aggregation.
0: All right, and I'm going to hop in here and I'm going to ask you to ballpark. We'll do some rapid fire here to close out this topic around what would an Apple checking account look like or what would an Apple kind of checking slash banking product look like? Apple obviously has the design, the product chops, the distribution. They certainly have the talent, right? know a lot of the great lawyers over there. They're absolutely fantastic and compliance folks. So they have the right expertise to pull something like this together, if not Apple, right? Because maybe they're busy with that car or driver's licenses. I cannot wait until I can put my driver's license into my Apple Pay wallet. Please make that happen, Apple. If not Apple, who else do you think could pull this off? And I have a couple of thoughts. So kind of curious to get your thoughts like yes or no reaction and then kind of why. One of the things when you were describing like how this might look with the integration with the bank, that it's not just one partner like a Goldman, offering everything, it's many banks, almost more like Apple Pay, right? Like wrapping in was, wow, that sounds a lot like what Google was trying to do with, I think, Plex is yeah, what they yeah. called it, right? Where they were going to offer this new bank. They had like City and a couple other, you know, banks with the right amount of scale signed up that would kind of want to tap that consumer market. So curious, what do you think about Google? Do you think Google could pull something like this off?
2: Theoretically, yes. I think what's kind of brought Google and the Plex product down in particular, and this is important with Apple too, and it's important with any firm you want to bring up, is what's their DNA and what's their culture? Part of why Plex didn't make it with Google was that it's basically an advertising company at heart. And Apple is predominantly a a technology product company. They just want to sell more iPhones and iMacs and all that kind of stuff. And all this financial services stuff is just a way to drive more deeper engagement and involvement with the product. But you know what? Apple, I think, has a big problem. While they're absolutely fantastic from a design and this design thinking perspective, I actually don't think they're very good when it comes to data and analytics. Mm. I, and I cynically think that that's why they've taken privacy as this like big stance. Yeah. is because they don't know what to do with the data. So let's just say that's our excuse Oh, we don't have to do anything with it if we claim to be the privacy experts. Google, on the other hand, is very good with the data, but they, I don't think, are as good on the design front, but not bad, for sure. I think they got the products tops. I mean, that Plex product was awesome, and some of the features that they were going to have were really cool, but the culture took it down because it really wasn't driving the advertising and you know, it just didn't fit with the model. So can they do it? Yes. Will they probably not at this point, not if they've already kind of backed out of of the Plex.
0: All right. Let's look at another kind of beaten down name. They were high flying. They're kind of in that granddaddy of fintech kind of circle and their CEO loves Krav Maga PayPal. Do you think PayPal could pull this off and do like the future of banking the way we talked about Apple doing it? Yes or no?
2: No, but I'm going to cheat and say the answer is because they also sort of seem to have these designs to become sort of super app, which we'll talk about. I think yes, in- 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 we be talking
0: yeah. about Hold that fire. Yeah. But
2: um, they're going down a different path. So I don't think they're going to do this.
0: All right. One last crazy name for you. And then I think this is a good springboard to talk about super apps because I know I'm jazzed to talk about it. I think you are and Reggie is as well. into it. I talked to somebody senior at Intuit. I won't give up their name, but very senior, right? Would be part of the key decision making circle, not their CEO. Although I'd be happy to talk to their CEO if they want to ever reach out. I asked them, I'm like, hey, I'm a big mint customer. I like mint, but mint kind of sucks. You guys haven't done anything with it in like the longest time. I'm like, what's your long term plan? you going to sell it? Like, what's your plan there on that? And they're like, actually, we're going to double down. And this was before they announced they were going to buy Credit Karma. And they're like, we're going to double down. Consumer is a very important vein for us, like outside of tax prep. Right. They want this consumer segment. They want to have those touch points into folks. And then obviously, they launched Turbo and a couple other things. Intuit already has all these people coming to it, whether it's with Credit Karma or with Mint, if you're dumb like me and use that, funneling in all this financial information, right, to do it. Do you think they could pull off like an apple of banking?
2: Would love to see them do that. Everybody I've ever met from Intuit has been super sharp, love the company. But once again, I think we got a cultural problem. They have a history of, and I'll take whatever slings and arrows I have to for this one. They have a history of really not being able to well integrate and assimilate their acquisitions. And so while I think they have all the right pieces to pull this together, they're going to need cultural changes to overcome that. But I think they'd be very well positioned to do something like this.
0: No, it's I think it's a big company because I've worked with them a couple of times in different spheres. I think they have a lot of people who walk around wielding their veto right, especially on the compliance and the risk side. And so they say no and can't, as opposed to ask the question of how could it be done, which is really the difference between, I think, old and, and newer tech companies. And once you cross that transom, it's hard to come back. Although PayPal did it. I thought they've been doing a good job with Venmo lately, although they are copying Square but they're at least doing a good job with new features. And
2: well, you didn't pieces. bring up Square, by the way. And, uh, and just to well, I'm, throw one saving, more out there. I'm saving Square, Ron. I'm oh, okay. saving Square okay. because I,
0: I think they fit nicely with our Super App discussion. Fine, let's wait. Go All on. right. Although we should definitely circle back in case you don't touch on this in Super App because I think Square and banking, is obviously they have the ILC. They can do a lot of interesting things.
1: This is the perfect pivot. I love the Apple privacy theory. I've always wondered what That's kind funny. of drove them that angle. So I like it. So similar to the Apple checking account, I know a lot of folks like to soapbox about super apps and fintech in the U.S. Ron, any thoughts or takes there?
2: No. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> of course I do. Anybody who <laughs> ever asked me, Ron, do you have any opinions on this? It's like it's the stupidest question. Of course I do. <laughs> so I think this is, my short answer is super apps are not coming to the U.S., But maybe it depends on how you define super app. I think of the super apps in the Asian model, the WeChat, the Grab, where it's everything. It's not just financial services. If your vision of a super app does not have things like buying tickets and paying for your utilities and ordering your Uber, then I don't think it's a real super app. It might be a financial supermarket or financial super, but it's not a super app. Now, there's another aspect to this, too, that people seem to kind of gloss over. If you look at the Asian model super apps, what they are from a technology perspective is a sort of an aggregation or conglomeration of what they call mini apps. And the reason that they have this was because in Asia, the smartphones that Are popular or have been popular, at least were not the smartphones that we have here in the US. They were much less powered, had much more technology constraints. So it wasn't the kind of thing we're like today on our Google app or Google phones or our, our, our iPhones, where we could have 80 to 100 apps sitting on there and just click between them and do everything. So there was a technology constraint that forced somebody for the 10 cents and the the alibabas to create an app structure that enabled multiple things to be done within it through this video. We don't have that. We also have a very different industry structure, not just in financial services, but across the board with everything. We have oligopolies for the most part in a lot of our major industries like retail where there's Target and Walmart and so forth and pharmacies with CVS and Walgreens and so forth. And especially in the banking world as well. This is not what Asia had. And so without the individual power of a lot of large companies, Mm. it was easy for a single large, powerful company to kind of create these things. It's a totally different world in the US. We are not giving up the companies we do business with just because somebody else has created some sort of single point of contact to some limited set of firms. And until and unless that super app concept includes non-financial things like ordering your Uber or buying pharmacy stuff, getting your tickets, managing subscriptions or whatever in my book doesn't count as a super app.
0: What am I missing, guys? All right. That sounds fair. I think the functionality, the way you framed it, I think you're right. There's no super apps today. I'm curious, Ron. I have another question about how you define super apps, So not just functionality. How many active, let's say monthly app users do you think a super app would need to have in the U.S. to be considered a super app?
2: I don't think it, it requires more than like 10. It's not the number of people. It's the number of pieces of functionality yeah. that are included in it. My argument about a year and a half ago when Walmart announced it was hiring those guys away from Goldman Sachs's Marcus Group. Was yeah. that? Why would they do that? Why would you leave Goldman Sachs to go work for Walmart? Well, one reason might be they just throw it through an incredible amount Ron, sorry, of money. Can, be, Ron, can them. you ask one more time? What, to point your go- fingers
0: up, just like just like the ESPN basketball guys. Like, why would they do that? Can you can you just do that real fast for me?
2: What is it? Uh, what does the ESPN guys do? Oh, you you're, you're so not so, so any video
0: dur- here. Dur- dur- no, we're we're absolutely doing video, Ron. This, this is going to be out there for folks to see. So dur- during oh, during basketball trade season. <laughs> When people were trading things around, I think it was Brian Windhorst gets on it. There's there's a great internet meme where he goes, "Now, why would they do that?" And he's got his fingers up like this, and and they like ESPN is just milking it. They just play it all the time. So I love oh. it when you said you said, "Why would they do that?" I just immediately no, was like, no, that, is, that totally is a question de jour." Totally no, missed okay. out on
2: ESPN. <clears throat> So why would those guys leave Goldman Sachs? Well, maybe throw a lot of money at them. But you know what? My guess is they kind of made pretty good money anyway. No, it's the old Steve Jobs, John Scully thing. You know, Do you want to sell sugared water for the rest of your life or do you want to change the world? And I think that was sort of the lure to go to Walmart was going to change the world for low to middle income consumers. So I think Walmart could pull it off because I think it has a loyal customer base in a particular segment. But that's just for us. And it's a large segment of consumers, but it's not everybody. So, you know, I think a Walmart could pull this off, but I don't think it's about the number of people that do it. I think to meet the definition, you've got to have a certain spectrum of functionality that you're offering, and it goes well beyond financial services.
0: So a couple of things. I can see where you're coming from, that there's no super app yet. I think I challenged that a little bit. And I think there's like baby super apps. So very happy to get into that in just a minute. The one interesting thing just to kind of play it back is, you know, I was thinking about what apps do I use regularly? Like who potentially could be my super app? And the one thing I open many times a day is Twitter. It's probably the only thing. And then sometimes I'll open my banking app. Sometimes I'll open Mint, right? But less and less, especially with the markets these days, I just don't want to look at anything. So that just kind of goes away. But I open Twitter a ton. And I think about Amazon. If I need something, Amazon, I try and look somewhere else. And I use DuckDuckGo, right? And I go on DuckDuckGo. If I'm not getting the right signal back on what I'm looking for, I'll go to Amazon. Or if I've ordered it before, like we were sending our kids to school in child size n 95 masks for a while, right? I'm like, oh, I need some more. I'm getting low. I just hit the reorder button, right? Super easy and that type of thing. So it was interesting because I was thinking about that and I was like, I think Twitter could be interesting, right? In terms of like a super app. And then then the interesting thing is like, okay, well, if Elon buys them and runs their stock price into the ground, should Jamie Dimon go buy them? Because then I would go become a Chase customer. I'd have to. If they made that, if I had to have a Chase product use Twitter, I'd go go do that. And then I think legally they could do it because they could call it a finder service. There was like a period of time in the 90s and the early 2000s where the Fed was letting banks sell computers and cell phones and stuff like that. And they were just calling it a finder service because it was adding to the banking layer.
2: I'm just surprised you don't already believe or you haven't woken up to the realization, sarcastically speaking, no, that Twitter is already running its stock price into the ground And screwing. I would love to see an Elon takeover of Twitter, but I guess we might differ on that perception. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right about Amazon. But you know, here's the thing: it's it's more than just financial services, and more than just sort of being a retail supermarket. You look at Walmart getting into healthcare and providing advertising services for companies. I mean, they've got an ecosystem from a logistics and delivery yeah. perspective. And I think Amazon has built that as well. So I think that would make them a good candidate to be a, a super apps provider.
0: Reggie, I'd be curious, and know we've talked a little bit about it and you wrote a piece on it about who could become the next payment network. And I know one of the ones I think you singled out or was thinking about was Square. I'd be curious for your take on you know, what you're seeing because I know you're watching the same stuff I am with Square and how close are they to becoming a super app and kind of what are you seeing on something like that?
1: Yeah, I think in many ways they already kind of are. I think they have the network. They're super app, at least in like the financial sense. They have the network among businesses in person online and they've also the network and consumers and like that's starting to yeah. have some healthy feedback loops. I think they've tried to do some like cultural expansion with like music and other avenues that I don't yeah. think are necessarily clicking. So yeah, it kind of circles back to that. How do you define super app? I think. In many ways, Square is a like financial super app, but not necessarily a super app in the sense that they have in China.
2: Hey, I got one more candidate to potentially throw by you, but I don't know. I got, do any of you have small kids or young kids?
0: I do, but we don't let them use the internet that much. So, but I'm curious around where this is going. Yeah. (laughs) Roblox. Roblox. Mm -hmm. From what I, and my kids are
2: older, so they're not into any of this stuff. But I yeah. have colleagues and meet people who go, man, my kids spend all of their yeah. f-ing time on Roblox. And that to me is like, okay, if that's what they're doing, then that becomes a candidate for, yeah. you know, ex- expansion of stuff. And so, you know, maybe there's a super app for kids. They incorporate messaging things within it. I don't know. Because I I don't have kids who use it. I don't. But it, it just yeah. from what I
0: hear, that makes me think that they could be a candidate for a super app. Well, hopefully CJ and George from Step are listening. Because if you are, Ron just gave you some gold channel acquisition advice here for free on our podcast. It makes sense. Yeah, my my kids are probably a couple years away from Roblox. The other one that scares the Dickens out of me because I have two younger daughters, TikTok. (laughs) It's a Chinese spy app. But apparently the uh, youths are using it instead of Google to search for things. And I mean, on some level, that's great, right? It's nice to see a competitor to Google on search, because obviously there's the folks that use DuckDuckGo and the folks that I use Yelp when I'm looking for a local small business. But TikTok coming in and then all the... I, I, I want to call them crazy, but I don't think they're crazy. I think they're true, right? The things around the Chinese government not necessarily having any data firewalls and things kind of getting back. And TikTok is very good at lobbying, right? They pulled off some very big lobbying efforts, had the CEO go to the congressional football game this past week. They're like entrenching themselves to have nothing... No scrutiny, no anything else to them. But like if people are going there for their content, if they're spending time on TikTok instead of listening to our podcast, which I don't know why they would do that. We're very entertaining, um, intelligent, or more so like YouTube or TV or Hulu or Netflix or things like that, but they're going to TikTok and they're going there for search. It kind of feels like it's not that crazy to say payments. And the other thing I'll say is like I've gotten calls from the from the I don't know, the bite dance people. Hey, would you want to come do payments at TikTok? I'm like, No. I don't want to help the Chinese government. But like that's You know, are they close to becoming a super app given their reach that they have?
2: Well, that's two different questions. They have great reach, but they're not necessarily becoming a super app because of that. But you really the question is, could they leverage that to be a super app? I don't know. But here's the thing. I could kill TikTok's growth in the next six months really easily. And here's how to do it. I'm just going to make a concerted effort to get my fellow baby boomers to use TikTok nice. Just like and Facebook. that will kill it because every young person's go, Oh God, you people f***ed up Facebook for us by getting on. We had Facebook to ourselves and you f***ed it up with your, Oh, you've got your, your 50th reunion coming up. Oh. So if baby boomers started using TikTok, we'd That's kill funny. it for them. They'd have to go somewhere else. Look, we ruin everybody's lives who, you know, the other generations yeah. and we're going to ruin TikTok for them as well. You,
0: we should get this podcast to Evan Spiegel at Snapchat and then Ron he should hire you to go in and do some TikTok reverse marketing for Snapchat. You'd be like, "I'm not on Snapchat, but I'm on TikTok." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: And every one of my high school (laughs) alumni from 50 years ago, we're all on on TikTok. We should
0: sign up Alex Johnson, too, because I feel like he's an old soul. And just to plug him one more time with that
2: great newsletter he's got. Oh, no, he's no boomer.
1: So related to TikTok, we want to do a uh, fintech influencers draft. So here's the deal. Andreessen Horowitz gives you $250 million to build a Web3 neobank for dog-owning college students at Big Ten Colleges. Uh, love Mar-
0: A16Z. Just love them.
1: Yep. And Mark Andreessen specifically wants to give you so much money so that you can invest heavily in influencers. Which influencers do you go to to get the uh, best bang for your buck?
0: Oh, Ron. man. So- uh, and, and, Ron, and Ron, quickly, we're drafting. So we're going to let you have one choice, and then Reggie and I get a choice, and then we're going to swing back to you each round. So we're, we're going to do three rounds of drafting just so the audience knows what the rules are here.
2: Okay. Ah, so... Here's the thing I just want to preface this with is that if you had just simply said, hey, let's just create a team of fintech influencers, Ron, you get to draft first. I know who I would go for like in my first three to four or five picks. No question about that. But you changed the game a little bit with your dog-owning college students for Big Ten Colleges, Neobank. And so my number one pick in that example that you give... My number one pick is Mary Wisniewski from Bankrate.
0: I love her. Because
2: she is a, well, she's not a dog-owning college student anymore, but she's got a dog. Her videos are absolutely fantastic. Her knowledge of banking and personal finance is second to none.
0: She's very and, trustworthy. Uh, yeah.
2: She would sign up a gazillion college students who watch her videos in, in the first month.
0: That makes complete sense. Ron, I think that's it. I didn't see that one coming. And that's a genius draft pick.
1: So I was, I was thinking that the college student angle and my theory is that you can hook college students through the super stonk Reddit sub thread. Mm. I think a great way to get in front of them there is have someone like Jerome Powell be your influencer and have them do some good, like printer goes burr memes. And like that, that gets you to the front page of a college student frequented Reddit pretty quickly, I think.
0: Reggie, like if you can't who? get him because he cites conflict of interest, do you get a look-alike? Like, do you dress mm. up like Bill Hader as Jerome Powell to do the Jerome Powell <laughs> printer goes bruh type think of thing? So. Okay, I think so nice. I'm gonna go. Uh, this this one's gonna be kind of down the fairway for college student influencers. So I'm a big fan of looking for the overlooked number two. And so there's always somebody who's in the shadow of a number one, but really they're kind of propping up and reinforcing the number one. And if you put them in their own lane and gave them their own platform, I think they could be a number one in their own right. So with that in mind, thinking about our audience, we want somebody younger, right? The kind of influencer thing. I'm going to go with Charlie D'Amelio's sister, Dixie. Charlie's got the deal with Step, right? She's an influencer for teens right now. She and the family are known. They've got season two on Hulu coming out. Hulu, please sponsor our podcast or do cards with us. Hulu cards. it sounds pretty cool. We have lithic spend now. And one of my thoughts is let's go get Dixie. I don't think she's locked up with Step or any other like Neo Bank yet. So let's lock her up for our Web3 dog owning college students. I don't care if it's a credit builder card or not. We're going to get Dixie on board and she's going to help us pitch this thing on that Chinese super spy app TikTok. Love it. All right. I ended us here. Let's go to round two. Ron, let's switch it up. Let's go serpentine. So why don't we let Reggie pick next? And then I think I'll go and then we'll end with you. How about that? Sounds good. All right. Perfect. Reggie, take us away for round two. Who are you picking?
1: So I think for round two, I'm picking Diesel, Div, Solomon's DJ personality. Nice. I think similar potential to get yourself on a Reddit with some good, like, you know, put him up on a shirt with your fintech meme as he's like DJing yeah. in a work from home focused like club event, something like that. He, could, get some he could offer,
0: you guys could run a sweepstakes and one of the winners who signs up could get a ride with him on the private Goldman jet because that would not piss off the other partners at Goldman Sachs. I've not read anything about that in the news recently. Love it. All right, Ron, how about you? Okay, my next pick,
2: and I don't even know who you guys are talking about, by the way. I you, <laughs> David sure. Sullivan, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, Ron. <laughs> oh, oh. I, he's he's off being the DJ on the weekends. Yep. No, that part wasn't was. Yeah, that's okay. On. What'd you call him DJ uh, Diesel? The, uh, you...
1: D- who's... Diesel, that's the stage name.
2: Diesel. Oh, that okay. <laughs> I didn't know he that I didn't remember heard of. I have heard of Goldman Sachs, though. But uh <laughs> there you okay go. uh okay, Apple's so my next bank partner. My next pick is Will I am. Ooh, founder of uh Black Eyed Peas. He just does amazing stuff in the community, and it's obviously Generally not college students who go to Big Ten schools, but yep. does a lot in the community and just absolutely super creative guy. Works a lot with a lot of large corporations. So I think he could bring a really bring audience to this Neo Bank. I don't know what he has to do with dogs, but I just think he's super cool. <laughs> no, there. I
0: like that. I think it makes sense. My second round pick, I'm surprised nobody picked them yet. I'm gonna go with the college game day guys. Because I'm picturing the spoof ads on social media to reach those college age crowd or even we just run them during college game day and they're there and for folks who are listening but haven't watched college game day there's there's like five dudes a couple of former athletes and this got old guy lee corso and what they do is they pick who's going to win the game the big game wherever they go on campus and they're doing it from if it's the ohio state michigan game or alabama lsu something like that and at the end they all pick a winner and lee corso tends to go last and he puts the college mascot head on for what he's doing and so i'm picturing the ad where they're like ah who are you picking for your web 3 banking credit builder needs and they all kind of pick different companies or whatever and like, i pick boring company that's going to go out of business or i pick company that's going to lose all my data and lee corso puts the mascot on for this new company reforming goes i pick the andreessen horowitz backed i don't know whatever the name is like dog pounds with like the ampersand or whatever. i don't know whatever it is but that's what i'm picturing so that's my second round draft i'm thinking all the college game day guys. I want them all. I don't care the expense. It's Mark Andreessen's money. Well, so
2: they- I totally did not understand the rules of this whole thing because I thought you <laughs> wanted we're talking about fintech influencers and no, not the no, day influencers, Ron.
0: You could pick anyone, but you've picked two good ones because yeah. I think Mary especially I could see her getting into the real good edu- her educational content is very like I watch it. It's not dry. Right. It's very slickly produced. It's quick moving. There's a nice pace to it. So I could see that come up because honestly, if I'm a college student, I don't know up or down on financial services or what I'm doing. And so Mary just feels so trustworthy and probably be like, yeah, that, that sounds great. I'll take three of those. Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Andrews and Horowitz would make their investments back with all of our so. draft picks.
0: We've got one more round. So curious where you guys go for your final round. I'm going to be spicy. I'm going to throw mine out there first. I'm going to go Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, and I got a couple reasons for why. He's got that Midwestern feel, right? He's from northern Minnesota. He's a man of the people, clearly very influential. And my thought is he could pitch to the college students' parents and grandparents on the crazy shows that he's on, like the Freedom Network or whatever or Late Night Fox, because I think he's still advertising for MyPillow and Tucker Carlson. And so you could put him on there and be like, what are your kids doing about crypto, right? And he could just talk about this app, and he could get it, and then that way you get the reinforcement. You run them right before the holidays, so that when the kids go home for Thanksgiving or the Christmas, Hanukkah, et cetera, holidays, winter break, right? They hear from their parents, "Hey, are you using the new Dog Pound app?" Although Ron, it's your earlier comment that might backfire on me, and they might be like, "If you're using it, I don't want to use it." Yeah, but, I don't know, but I. I still think I'm going to reinforce it with Mike Lindell. I'm going to have him come in. It's going to be my dog pound or whatever we're
1: naming this thing. All right, well, Reggie, you're up. Uh, yeah, I was. I was thinking about trying to do like a controversial take, like like Adam Newman or something. Just like, Mike Lindell's
0: not controversial. He sells pillows
1: uh no i think i'd probably have to go with a more traditional choice of like social media influencer like the liquidity twitter account or mm. turner novak has some pretty great memes on twitter and yeah following. so probably more traditional choice like that to round out my three
0: that makes sense and if, if you can't get turner you could check in for alex cohen if he's not busy at the olive garden so it's another good way to go
2: <laughs> well once again my third choice is going to be a bit off the wall for you guys and i hate to go back to the music well but uh my third choice was going to be the rapper idk who was already partnered with uh, credit karma and uh, he's got a very cool message to bring about financial management and stuff and he's actually written songs about this stuff so uh, i think he could be pretty influential and he's already got a track his track record of working in the financial services stuff with a uh, credit karma
0: That's a solid one, and I thought about somebody like Bad Bunny myself, another rapper that young people seem to like. He's very famous. I think he's more of probably like a Southern, maybe like a Florida, Georgia demographic. So because we went Big Ten here, I thought Bad Bunny would fall out. But Ron, I like that IDK choice. It's a really nice
1: one. Cool. Well, awesome, Ron. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. We really enjoyed chatting about prepaid card trends with you. (laughs) Really great prepaid (laughs) insights,
0: Yeah, We'd love to have (laughs) you back.
1: And if yeah. listeners wanted to uh, find out more about you, where should thank
2: they go? Uh, hey, just Google FinTech Snark Tank. It'll get you onto Forbes. That's where I'm writing stuff these days. And they always reach me on Twitter at Shevlin or on LinkedIn. All uh, those would be good places. And I thank you guys for doing this. I hope your marketing team doesn't listen to it too closely. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm probably never going to get asked back. So, <laughs> Ron, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks for joining us on the Fintech Layer Cake podcast. We
0: hope you learned something useful today.
1: Fintech Layer Cake is sponsored by Lithic, the fastest and most flexible way to launch a card program.
0: If you're hungry for more content about fintech, regulation, compliance, cards, and payments, we have all kinds of information on our website, from light snacks to full course meals and cake.
1: Check the other episodes of the Fintech Layer Cake podcast on all streaming platforms today.